Welcome to the EdTech Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. While I was at ISTE in June, the big talking point on everyone's minds was digital citizenship. How can we prepare our students in a world surrounded by technology and connectivity with access to more information than is imaginable to support safe and responsible technology use? For some, that means getting students knowledgeable about how to discern fact from fiction or fact from exaggeration online, especially in hard news. But how do you create a platform for students to read about current events, whether troubling or exciting, that is both age appropriate and matches each student's reading level? It's a daunting task, but not one that's being ignored. Here to talk to us about the evolution of reading fluency in the classroom and the importance of getting kids in front of current events early in the education process are JJ Janikus, team lead of Educator Communities for Newzella, and Tammy Flood, a teacher and Newzella certified educator. How are you both doing today? Awesome, thank you. I'm doing great, thanks. Yeah, I'm really excited to chat with both of you. Uh, I know we got to meet at ISTE, which was awesome. I got to check out the Newzella product and you know, kind of see how it works. And that was what really captivated me about Newzella. And you know, JJ, I know that you're really big on Newzella's passion, Newzella's mission, which is to unlock the written word for everyone. And I, I think that's such a powerful and um, you know, a really heavy statement like that that's that's going to take a lot of work and that's that's cool I, I appreciate the emphasis and the dedication so why do you think that is so crucial to unlock the written word for everyone how is the system also currently set up you know for reading fluency in the classroom that's actually doing the opposite of that maybe keeping some of those doors locked thanks uh, so my my experience with this mission comes from my firsthand experience in the classroom as a special education teacher I worked as an inclusion teacher in New York City public schools um, in sixth grade, which is such a critical time of transition for learners, you know, and uh, leaving the elementary experience where they're very much still learning to read and now going into middle school, that secondary education where they're really having to take what they're reading to make deeper meaning and learning. Um, and especially working with uh, in an inclusion classroom, there were so many levels of experience of my students. And so I was constantly challenged to have to bring in content that could be, you know, appropriate for that grade level, but also challenge some of my, my students in the classroom to really seek to gain higher experiences from their learning, but also knowing that I had learners in my classroom that needed, um, resources and reading that could be really comprehensible to them in that particular moment um, for different learning disabilities, for being um, a non-native English speaker. So that is where I really found Newzella and really connected because it was able to really fit all of those needs and give um, meaningful reading in a way that could be hit all of those different checkboxes that I've listed, those extensions, the grade level appropriateness, and as well as giving students uh, a, a reading that could be really way where they were at in that particular moment of time. I think going to that kind of unlocking the written word, that's, what's that, that's where that really fits in, is that we as learners are not always in the same place together. Um, so to unlock that is that sense of personalization, and that is such a critical place for education. I think currently there, there was, a, or sorry, previously, there was a place where we were just 
teaching to the grade level and not necessarily meeting a student where they were at. And now I think there's such a wave now with the access of technology to give that personalization to perhaps extend the student so that they can become a more advanced reader um, and also bring in students that might be coming from different um, life experiences to really gain the necessary foundations to unlock their potential. Well, and I also remember when I was in elementary school and we were learning to read and sort of gauging everyone's reading level, it was marked by, you know, we would have books on a shelf. It was like, okay, this is your reading level. And they would have sort of a a colored sticker on the outside of them. So red, blue, green, yellow. And it was very clear. You would look around the room and be like, oh, check it out. Like, Bobby is reading a yellow stickered book, whereas, you know, Susie is reading a blue sticker book. Wow, Susie is so advanced. And so it was really evident, too, like who was maybe at a higher reading level, who wasn't. Um, and that probably wasn't the best. I mean, it kind of almost created a weird sort of competition amongst our reading. And I don't think that's the best approach. So it's interesting now that technology is allowing that personalization, but also it's probably making it less of a competition. It's making it less, um, it doesn't, you know, you don't even realize that you're reading at a lower reading level or one that's more personalized for you. It's just adjusted so everyone can grow at their own pace. Tammy, if you want to add on to that from your experience. Oh, no, I I totally agree. And um, JJ said a couple of things that I really love there. Um, Just the, I think that one of the things uh, specifically about Newzella that I appreciated as an educator is that it provided like a a pathway to equity. And I know that's kind of a, (laughs) a wordy kind of statement, but from what you're saying just now, you know, the different colored tiered books, it allowed for students to, you know, receive a personalized education to meet students where they are. And it did it with, you know, integrity and, you know, it personalized respectfully and made sure it, it helps make sure that the individual needs of students are intact. And I think it encourages them as well. So that's one of the things that I really appreciate about the product. Absolutely. So, Tammy, I feel like um, with you, I know you've both been educators in the classroom, but I know, Tammy, you're, you're still teaching actively. Um, I think a lot of the issues with changing up the nature of reading fluency in the classroom probably come from a mix of mentality that, you know, it, it's kind of tough to convince people that there is an issue uh, with you know, making reading kind of competitive subtly and also that, you know, it's not really being adjusted to each student that is being adjusted to a grade level. Um, So there's probably some issue there, but then also funding, you know, being able to fund a change. Both of those are probably big, big hurdles to jump over. So what have you seen as an educator in the system today with those issues in mind? Well, the challenges for funding in public education in particular um, go, you know, as part for the course. Um, it's just what we face as educators. And I think that we see an interesting perspective from teachers who just see great products out there and want to bring them into their classrooms. Uh, I do believe, and I'm very, very student and teacher center and unapologetically, I do believe that teachers, for the most part, have, you know, the best interests of their students in mind, and they really do have a pulse of the classroom and know what challenges exist. 
The funding, however, is not in the hands of the teachers. So the challenge is convincing the powers that be um, that these are the tools that we need to get the students where we need to get them. And because of the way that a lot of the schools are funded, the money just quite honestly isn't there. Um, so it is, it's frustrating and it is something that we've got to figure out because uh, the bottom line is that we have students who live in this global society in this connected world, and we have to make sure that they are prepared. And I think that if we can kind of put all of our efforts into that, we'll be in good shape. So you mentioned, obviously, you have to convince the powers mm -hmm. that be uh, with the the money that they need to fund certain projects or allow for sort of a change in technology or method. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I, you know, I think that standardization is clearly still such an important part of the education process. And I don't, I don't think it should go away. I don't think anyone thinks that being able to assess students can go away. But like you said, there's been, and JJ, you said this too, there's been more of a push for personalizing that education and allowing teachers to adjust within the classroom for every student's um, reading level, for every student's fluency in whatever subject, instead of saying everyone at third grade should be at this point. How have you seen that conversation between educators and districts and states about trying to sort of readjust standardized education? I think that's such a, such a heavy thing to battle. Well, un unfortunately, and this may not be the... <laughs> the right answer. I, I do feel that they are in huge, con it's a huge conflict. And while I agree with you that standardization does have its place, because there are certainly times where we as just adults and American citizens are going to have to take some sort of standardized assessments in our lives. But I do uh, have a problem with the fact that we have a push for personalization with our students in our classrooms. At the same time, we are held to standardization and standardized test scores. And that, in many cases, has started to drive instruction, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But back to my point, then give us the tools that we need to make sure that we can realistically get every student where they need to be. Yeah, I I, 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 echo, I echo that a lot. I think, you know, for me, that the sense of um, the standardization is kind of that, that, that conflict of if that is the end goal. And as educators, we're told to, you know, design backwards design that does put some of those things into conflict. I think, you know, what I see is like there is always so much value into just quick formative checks. You know, are you understanding in the moment? And how does that impact what I do today, tomorrow um, for that student? To, to help them on their learning path. And also that kind of sense of like project-based learning that we don't just have to give those multiple choice tests anymore, that let's try and put things in per, into perspective with more application-based learning. Um, and ultimately maybe that will help them become those stronger test takers um, if that's still the, the system that we live in. Right. And then I feel like it's a conversation of how do you balance more of that project-based uh, personalized learning and then turn that into some sort of equitable score or as something that you can gauge. It's like, okay, the student definitely uh, increased in their knowledge of this subject or they got better at this subject. I feel like that's always going to be 
in the back of the mind of districts and states that they want to be able to measure their students. Um, and so, yeah, finding that balance has got to be tough, especially when, you know, I agree. I personally learned so much more from teachers that allowed me to do project-based learning, to do personalized uh, projects and get my hands dirty a little bit, experiment, fail a little bit, learn from it, come back. And I, I grew more because of that. But those were probably harder to gauge. You know, how is the student at a higher reading level now? Is the student, um, you know, better at grammar now? Like balancing those two things it has got to be hard. It is. I mean, it's huge. And there are a couple of things, uh, performance um, based assessments, competency based assessments can do that where you identify the standard or, you know, what competency you want mastered. And if you set those up with learning rubrics that you, you can effectively assess those for project based learning, um, something beyond just the paper pencil test. So it is possible, but I do agree. I do think that most people do struggle with those things at this time. So it is a challenge is what I'm saying. Yeah, definitely. So JJ, next question I had for you is, you know, we've been talking about these issues of crossing over the mentality hurdles, the funding hurdles. So once you do get past those, and clearly school districts are starting to personalize their education more, allowing teachers to handle this technology, um, how how have you turned that into time well spent with the technology? Because I still think there's probably some issues with making sure teachers understand how to use it, or really it's more empowering them to use it to its full extent to where, you know, they're not just being told, hey, put VR in the classroom, but instead, hey, let's incorporate this so students learn this and this and this and this, and it, it becomes integrated. So how have you seen ed tech providers empower educators to get more time back in their hands for meaningful, personalized education? Yeah, I think that's a part of why I love being at Newzella um, in the role that I am in, is that empowering educators and, you know, just like students in their classroom, teachers need professional development as well. Teachers need to be taught how to really leverage some of the tools that are being brought into their classroom. Um, some schools and districts do that really successfully. I think there are models where the, the teachers become the teacher for their cohort of um, people within their schools to really leverage what they have. And again, personalize for what's relevant to them. Um, so in my sense, um, in, in the Newzella world, you know, having this leveraging a community like our Newzella certified educators like Tammy, where we can empower them to say, here's a tool, here are some best practices, here's what we've learned from other educators on how they're using Newzella, uh, and to create that collective pool of knowledge is really a nice, powerful resource and having them connect and share um, not only with each other, but hopefully back to their school. I think that's really where um, we can really leverage some of that education for our teachers. Um, I, would, I would just wanted to piggyback on what JJ said. I think that many schools, as they integrate more technology, are looking towards instructional technology coaches. And I was fortunate to kind of trans, uh, transition from the classroom to that position two years ago. So September will be the start of my third year. And um, I think that just transferring that knowledge from, say, a New Zealand certified educator to um, 
uh, a department to an individual interested really provides the comfort and the individual coaching to make sure that we are not just incorporating technology for the sake of technology, but that it is actually useful and relevant and it will directly impact student success and academic growth. And and I just I wanted to add on too that I, I find from these communities and having, you know, at Newzella, we have a lot of people that come from backgrounds in education um, and we constantly are seeking feedback from our educators and students that are using Newzella. That to us is super valuable in terms of what content we need to be publishing, what, what types of, you know, design we need to add in to make the product accessible for teachers and students to ultimately save them time to empower them to do the work that is so important within their school communities. I agree. I completely agree. So before we get into the next part of this podcast, which is going to be more focused on the current of the current event angle of Newzella and how it, you know, gets real news in front of kids of all reading levels and ages. Uh, I kind of want to play a little <laughs> game with y'all uh, that is going to play off of Newzella's spirit of condensing crucial information into easy to read content. So what we're going to do is we're going to condense the plots of must read school literature into five word summaries. So that's the game title five word summaries and maybe I'll make some fun little music snippet here but but five word summaries <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is what we're gonna do uh, I'll give you like 30 seconds to come up with these if you want to like jot it down or write it in your phone so you so you have like I'm nervous. Yeah, <laughs> no pressure but the winner of this oh. will get a Starbucks gift card no way <gasps> no way um, so I'll and, I mean, winner is going to be kind of hard to decide. I'm just going to have to pick the best one. So hopefully hopefully there's no uh, there's no hurt feelings. But this is, <laughs> this is your time to get creative. Um, so here we go. I'm going to give you the first title, and I'll, I'll get my little phone timer going. So we, we keep this fair, right? Um, <laughs> all right, ready? So the first one is going to be Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Go. Oh, my Boom. goodness. Harry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you want to like, if you want to type them out, like, and, and kind of like brainstorm it for a second, 10 seconds in, we've got, all right, 15 seconds, another 15 seconds left on the clock. Okay, okay got it. The pressure is mounting. And time is up. It's time to all right. Boom. JJ, I know you got yours in first, I think. So let's hear what's your five word summary for the plot of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. My plot summary is young wizard goes to school. Wow. That, that, that just general blanket statement could be like, I don't know. It makes me think a young wizard is just going to like public school. <laughs> that, that's what I love about oh. that. I'm like imagining Harry Potter sitting in a public school classroom and, and like, they're like, okay, everyone go ahead and take your quiz. That's great. All right, Tammy, your turn. I'm feeling pressure. Okay. Um, Harry, the boy, Lord Hero. Wow. That, it, that's so epic. That, that sounds like something that would be written on his tombstone. Like, that's like his, his, his final motto. <laughs> I yeah. love it. Hmm. 
Well, <laughs> that's going to be a tough one. I, I think just on, on sheer epicness, I'm going to have to give it to Tammy there. Like, I just feel really, <laughs> no really <way>. inspired, <laughs> really inspired there. Yes, All right, Tammy. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I also like that she used in a positive in her five word summary. Agreed. Very oh, wow. Look at that dice, JJ. You're definitely, <laughs> you're definitely very reading fluent. <laughs> okay. Next one is going to be Romeo and Juliet. Go. Yeah, it's uh, definitely one of one of the gloomier reads. It's one of those reads that when you think about it, it you know, people always romanticize it. But when you think about it, it's like, wow, this is <laughs> the content of this novel is actually pretty sad. <laughs> uh, all right, ten seconds. Ooh. Man, 30 seconds flies by when you're having fun on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and... It's time to stop, okay? Boom, that's 30. <laughs> All right, Tammy, we'll start with you this time. Let's hear it. What is your five-word summary? Uh, two kids, lovers, died sad. <laughs> <laughs> a, a lot of, a lot of um, semicolons here. Exactly. Two kids, lovers, died sad <laughs> that is definitely a tweetable version of romeo and juliet i love that jj let's hear it let's hear yours um lovers fall in problematic love <laughs> yes i like that yes that is good that i jj uh, i think yours is, is probably a more uh focused answer i'm gonna have to I give it to you but but tammy yours definitely made me laugh <laughs> that's what i'm here for Yep, I love it. Okay. And and another positive use, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, tiebreaker. This is a good one. Uh, we're going to do uh -oh. The Great Gatsby. Ready? Oh. Go. Boom. <clears throat> yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of the movie. It was okay, but it's just hard to turn these into... It's hard to turn solid novels into solid movies as well. <laughs> All right, we've got another 10 seconds. Oh no. It's ramping up. It's time to stop. Done. 30. All right, that's 30 seconds. We'll start with JJ. Since you won the last one, what is your five word summary for The Great Gatsby? Um, rich party boy has faults. <laughs> yes, that rich party boy does have some faults. They're, they're big, heavy faults. That might be an understatement. <laughs> Simply simplified. We simplified. Yes, right. Simplified. <laughs> they have to read. You know, that's, yeah. that's the inner cover summary. <laughs> All right, Tammy, let's hear yours. I already like JJ's better than mine. Okay, <laughs> so um, depression was wasn't so bad. Gatsby. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that that sounds like his like like his interview. You know, when someone's like I interviewing them on the other end, it's like, so uh, Gatsby, what was your take on the depression? <laughs> mm, depression wasn't that bad, and then they quote it, Gatsby. <laughs> there you go, Gatsby. There you go. But it's also oh. ironic because his, I mean, it, it ended up pretty bad for him. He is now dead. So right. yeah. <laughs> you know? It didn't work out. It didn't work right. out. It didn't, didn't quite work out how he thought. Yeah. Uh, you know what? This is a toughie. I think I'm going to have to give it to Tammy. I think Tammy's Shut our winner up. here. No yes. way. Yes, I agree. Sorry. Cheers to Tammy. Cheers to Tammy. <laughs>
JJ. For excellent use of the positives in five words. Yes, exactly. JJ, I owe you a coffee. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Thank you guys so much for playing five word summaries. All right. There. Done. <laughs> Done with our game snippet. Tammy. I'll touch base with you about how I'm going to get you this card. I'll probably just ship it in the mail or something. Or we might do digital. Who knows? Technology is great. Okay. So now we're going to transition back into the meat of the podcast. Um, I want to hear from both of you. Um, I guess, JJ, you can start if you'd like. Um, But what I loved about Newzella when I was at ISTE was its connection with current events. Uh, The fact that kids could read about real news across the globe, whether it's interesting or exciting or troubling. I mean, like, news is news. So do you think there's an emphasis, especially in today's climate, of encouraging digital citizenship at an early age and the idea of sifting through, you know, bogus stories to find truth in them? Do you think there's an emphasis to get students in front of current events early? In terms of just my beliefs and the entire education system, I think both yes, um, because just having students exposed to relevant issues that are happening across the world. We live in such a a global economy as it is now, where we are constantly faced with, you know, learning about topics, um, political, environmental that are happening across the world. Um, So as adults, that's what we're exposed to. Um, so I think students should also be brought up in that same culture of transparent news access. But at the same time, the ability to really digest that is different um, based off of not only your reading level, right, but also just your worldly experience. Um, if I lived in an area where I didn't even know what you know a hurricane was or seen, my reading experience might be different if I'm learning about these big hurricanes that are happening in Puerto Rico, where someone that's in Florida or Puerto Rico has that baseline knowledge. So they're able to digest that that content a little bit differently, um, as an example. But for sure, having access to relevant and meaningful news is a huge part of um, developing students to think critically, not only in, you know, their ELA classes, but in all content areas, all content areas. Um, That's the same. Basically, I think the bottom line is that strong reading skills is the basis for learning in all subjects. And that's sort of what JJ just finished saying, um, that the culture of information that we live in, this information age, uh, media literacy is so important. And um, just getting students in front of information, accurate information early is just key. Um, as a certified social studies teacher, it is so important to me that students understand that we are a global and connected society and um, access to information is wonderful, but, you know, curated information, um, accurate information, fact-based information is something that I think everybody, not just students, <laughs> um, need to be aware of. And I think uh, a product like Newzella helps to do that. Well, and it definitely gets students in the mindset of keeping up with or being interested in what's happening in the world if you get them in front of it early and you make it mm-hmm. engaging or at least accessible. Um, th- mm-hmm. There's not a lot of I don't there's not a lot of news sites out there that are providing mm-hmm. news for kids. I mean, I'm sure there are, right. but I, I I don't see a lot of 
people encouraging that or being like, hey, like, I'm going to link you over to this news site. Like, how do you encourage that in students? It's tough, but integrating it into a curriculum and then making it mm-hmm. accessible for people of any reading level is is great. It gets people invested, excited about keeping up with new information, and it, it just makes them more news fluent, you know, being able to point out what feels real, what is critical. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all it's all definitely very important. And I feel like with reading up on stories like JJ, you mentioned hurricanes in, in Puerto Rico, uh, kids are going to gain some soft skills from that, too. Uh, I mean, feeling empathy for these people, understanding that there are people across the world who might not have it as great as they do. So I think that's a heavy emphasis on social emotional learning. Um, so Tammy, you know, since you've been in the classroom, what impact have you seen social emotional learning have on students? Um, and how do you think something like Newzella promotes that? And then also, do you th- do you see districts and states like putting a heavy emphasis on something like social emotional learning? Um, Definitely, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, social- Sweet, uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, um, social emotional learning. I've. I know it's kind of like the new buzzword, but it is timely and necessary um, that the uh, in the world that we live in. So I'm glad that it's a part of the conversation. So basically, it's the process through which children and adults acquire um, and uh, effectively apply knowledge and attitudes and skills to understand emotions to achieve those positive goals and show empathy for others. And I think having being knowledgeable. And having a broad perspective feeds right into that, um, that self-awareness and management, um, responsible decision-making, all of those things um, are accessible through like Newzella and similar products. But um, it is definitely something that I think most school districts, or at least most that I've heard of, are interested in. And um, I was personally, I got a a preview from JJ. He did a screencast. I was really excited to see it being added to Newzella, um, that they have curated articles or uh, resources for social emotional learning. Yeah, I I love that. The fact that it it just becomes integrated into the process and students gain those soft skills Mm -hmm. just by by reading the information. It's, it's, It's pretty great. So, I want to end here um, with both of you. I want to hear both of your thoughts on this. But I think that, you know, with getting students in front of current events, there's maybe an idea that children need to be sheltered or that, you know, current events shouldn't be of interest to them because they need to remain in childhood and enjoy it, which I understand. I mean, I understand that, you know, we want kids to be kids, but but I also think there's a heavy value on getting them interested in reading current events that might not be the most fun or innocent, you know, like a hurricane in in Puerto Rico. Um, So do you ever hear any resistance on the idea of getting kids at all reading levels in front of timely news? And if so, what is your response as an educator to that? You know, how do you find that balance of getting kids informed, but also letting them be kids, if that makes sense? I can go first here. Um, I feel like it. it is in some cases, or some people view it as a double-edged sword. I have never personally encountered any resistance. As a matter of fact, you know, just as an educator, I feel like it's a responsibility. One of the things I think that teachers and educators in general do very well is to they know how to deliver information in a way that's age appropriate or appropriate for understanding. 
And even as a, uh, a parent for some of the, you know, nation's tragedies that occurred, there were certain, I had that kind of, you know, pull between, you know, what I should let my child know about what has happened in the world, or should I just shelter her from it? And it actually took me a couple of days just to process the information myself. But I said, at the end of the day, this is the world that we live in. And I do not want to have a child that is uninformed. And I want her to ask questions. And so, Um, Being able to kind of balance that, I still want you to be a kid and know that everything's going to be all right, but I do want you to have an awareness of the world that you live in. I think that educators do that really well. So I'm fortunate that I've never received any resistance from supervisors or parents. Yeah, I think inherently people will always have opinions and therefore we do get some criticism that, you know, we are publishing articles that are not appropriate for students um, and then they will give us reasons, you know, based off of their backgrounds or beliefs. Um, and ultimately, our, our response is, you know, we really want to empower you and your as an educator to make the choice of what content you want to share with your students. So, you know, what you choose to assign in your classroom is your choice. Um, what you choose, we have an, uh, uh, the ability to hide content from your students if that's what you so wish to do. Um, so we want to empower you to make those choices for your students. But also we feel the need to be able to share content with our educator community at large on Newzella um, to, to give the, the articles that are going to bring in those conversations into the classroom that might be sometimes those tough topics but it can spur some of that, that empathy, that self-awareness um, that you know, develops perhaps that critical thinking and decision-making in a student to, to start them on a path to become you know, a, a better learner um, and a better citizen. Uh, can I just add one thing here? I, I really appreciate what JJ just said and you know, basically the philosophy of Nuzella. You know, a lot putting it in the hands of the educator and allowing for the choice if if a particular educator or school district decides well this information is not anything that speaks to our regional values or you know whatever our mission statement or vision is then we as educators have the power to say okay we're not going to handle it this way here and then other educators in different situations still have access to that information. Individual teachers from room to room have that power. And to me, that's what makes it such a valuable and powerful tool. It really empowers educators to empower students. And to me, that's big. Yeah, it's that ability to, you know, read the audience, basically, be able to as an educator, know what is probably best for the students that you're serving Um, and being able to adjust the articles, being able to adjust the teaching to your students. Maybe one year you have a a class of students that are all really, really interested in a certain subject. And so as an elementary school educator, you, you pick out a lot of articles on that subject. Maybe you get one where, you know, students they don't have a lot of interest in current news. And so then it's like finding ways to get them interested with easier articles and then being like, hey, check this out. This happened in the world today. This is Mm -hmm. what's cool about it or this is what's interesting about it or how do you feel about this, right? Asking them about like, how do you feel about these this like hurricane on the other side of the world you know it's like oh and and getting them talking about that empathy the soft skills like it's all tied together and it's really cool to see that the technology is um, allowing for those kind of conversations in the classroom and that you know teachers are now 
feeling empowered to have those conversations. So definitely, I want I really want to thank you both for coming on the podcast and helping us better understand you know this sort of evolution of reading fluency and how it's changing up in the classroom and also the importance of getting kids in front of current events. Um, you know I think there's a heavy importance there and uh, it's cool that teachers get to find that balance of what's age appropriate, but also you know how do you get kids. Um, digitally literate and invested in what's going on in the world. So yeah, thank you, JJ. Thank you, Tammy, so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. Yeah, thanks. And Tammy, I'll make sure to get you that gift card ASAP. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it. I'm excited. Love it. Well, thank you everyone for listening to today's podcast. And if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. Till next time.